Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Marco. R? <laughs> pirate? Are you speaking pirate I, already? I don't know. I can't see anything. <laughs> I heard a her in the fog. So, uh, yeah, it's foggy. I have no idea what's going on. Right. What are we going to do? Pirate or, pirate or a rock? It's hard to tell the difference. I don't know. It could be anything. Could be a whale. Just... Could be an iceberg. I don't mm, know. An iceberg. <laughs> could be Batman, Superman. Robin, I don't know. It could be, could be somebody there to help us, somebody there to uh, take take advantage of us, or there could just be an accident waiting to happen, which is often my case. Or maybe we, it's us that we're going all over the places and we need direction here. We need the route, a map. We Where indeed we need direction, Marco. We need direction. <laughs> so I, I think we're obviously we're we're swimming around the ocean, and people are trying to figure out where we're going. Uh, so we're we're talking with our good friends. Uh, from Imperva today, and we're looking at the topic of data security. And you're, people are probably thinking, well, how, what does that have to do with uh, pirates and whales and rocks in the ocean? Uh, well, we're going to make that all clear, hopefully, in this conversation. I'm going to welcome now, though, uh, our fellow pirate and uh, good friend, Terry Ray. Terry, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Marco. Happy to be here and uh, all aboard, I guess. Yeah, I was going to start so, with, do, do you like pirates? That's right. <laughs> I love pirates. Who doesn't? You know? Mm-hmm. you know when they say you can be, you should be yourself unless you can be a pirate. In that case, be a pirate. I, I go I go with that one. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know that I've heard that, but I'll, I'll take that. And yeah. uh, let's, all, let's all be pirates. Let's, let's welcome aboard, I, I believe, Terry, you have a much longer title than Captain. So, so tell us tell us who you are and what you do and what your role is at Imperva. Kind of set the stage for us. Absolutely. Yeah. My role, so my role changes often. I've been CTO, I've been uh, strategy and chief of this and chief of that sort of thing. But today my role at Imperva is senior vice president for data security and uh, field CTO. And I am an Imperva fellow. So uh, a uh, Fellow, we have one fellow. That'd be me. But uh, it's just a, the the uh, ability to uh, be doing this for twenty years, still be excited about it, and uh, still be on the road talking about how you do the things that you do around data, protecting data, and all that good stuff. So they assign roles to me every year, and I take after it and start going to work. As long as you like it, exactly. That's right. Okay. Congratulations still, on being still here. being a fellow. <laughs> That's, right. that's, uh, that's a, a coveted, coveted uh, title, role, position, whatever you want to call it. But uh, very, very cool. Clearly, you know what you're doing. <laughs> so <laughs> let's uh, let's help others uh, bathe in your knowledge of data security. Uh, we'll look at this from the technical perspective. Clearly, you have the, the ability to do that, but also the the operational and business perspective. We can touch on as well. So I want to bring it back to, and I'm sure Marco will jump in here, kind of the this idea that if we stick with the ocean analogy, if you will, 
think of ships back in the early days where perhaps they didn't know where they were going. They had some idea uh, and they didn't know if there were rocks out there or if there was land ahead. <laughs> so they just kind of went and, and, and leveraged their eyesight, right? Uh, maybe the moonlight uh, helped during the night, sun during the day. But when things get foggy, it's a little different. When uh, it's rainy, it's different. And I guess my point is we, we kind of used our eyesight to see what's ahead of us. And we'd make adjustments to our plans and, and our paths accordingly. And over time, we got help with some technology. We were able to put people up the mast in the crow's nest. We were able to put lighthouses up on, on points that jutted out into the ocean to kind of thwart folks from, from running ashore. Those things gave us visibility, but didn't always necessarily scale. So I want to start there. Um, kind of give that picture for folks. Is there an equivalent of that in the early days of data security? Perhaps when we didn't even call data security data security, it was just there was a database and and it was there and maybe it protected and maybe it didn't. Yeah, I I really like the the analogy. I think it fits really well in that when you when you go back to data security back in the day, it was purely manual, just like sitting on a ship and looking out across the waves and crow's nest or whatever. It was completely manual. It would be somebody wants to know who did something in a, in a database because they've been told they did something bad or my, my customer list has shown up at some other competitors. Who knows what? Uh, how did it get there? How did it happen? Well, then it was a manual effort to go figure out, well, where do we have all of this data in our environment? Now, do we even know who touched it over the last however many, many, many of days, years, weeks, what have you? Most of the time in the past, Data security was pretty easy because the answer to all of those questions was typically, no, I don't know where the data is. No, I don't know who touched it. So we really have no idea who was there. And it's probably a lot like your analogy in that it'd be like sitting on the edge of the ship in the fog and being asked, do we know where the rocks are? Do we know where the shore is? I can't even see the birds flying over me to see if the shore is near, much less whether there's a rock in front of us or an iceberg or what have you. Um, so to me, that was that was the world that people lived in. And I think a, a, another example is I used to ask chief information security officers, CISOs, uh, I would ask them a, a simple question. Do you know where your data is? Do you, do you have any idea? Same thing. Do you know where the rocks are? Do you know where your data is? And interestingly, about 100% of them would come back and say, I absolutely know where my private data is. And I said, great, because my follow-up question was always, is it possible that even though you know your private data is in this location, is it possible that it could have moved to a different location that you aren't aware of? And my example is, you know that you have a, for example, a credit card server that holds all your credit cards. You know that's where they're supposed to be. But do you know, do you have the visibility? Are you watching? Do you even have the tools to see whether or not you might also have issues where that same item, a rock, exists in other places as well? And the answer, Almost 100% of the time was, well, I don't know if it's anywhere else. I just know that it's definitely right there. For sure, it's right there. So that's kind of a lot like what you would experience, I think, in the olden days in, in maritime. And sometimes maybe you're going to hear, I'll know something goes wrong. I'll know it. And at that point, it's going to be too late. And that's exactly, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of 
going back here because it was one of your point when we were discussing what you know what to talk about during this this uh, this conversation, and and that's where Sean and I start spinning on the metaphor of the open seas and everything. Because once you hit the rock, it's like, hey, here's the rock. It's a little too late because now you have a hole. That's <laughs> so right. What are you going to do? So <laughs> you can back pedal. So you made that point where real-time security is too slow. Uh, so th- let's talk about that one there. And then and then there is another point that we're going to take over after that. Yeah, we've had this. Uh, we we, we kind of started it here recently. Uh, and it came up from, from one of our engineers in the field. Uh, and the idea was real-time security because we get asked about real-time security. Can you prevent this from happening as it happens? And uh, the answer is yes, sure. But is that the best thing? In, in the maritime world, of course, the second you hit the rock, it's, it is too late, right? The, it's, it's done. And so the same thing can happen here. If you know that somebody is tinkering around in a system because you're watching everywhere, you have the capacity to watch everywhere, then I can see that I have Terry, a bad guy. Terry's connecting in. He's doing some things over here. He's fiddling around over here and messing around over here. He hasn't stolen anything yet. But I can see that there's a lot of unusual behavior happening along the lines of this person's what should be normal behavior is becoming very, very abnormal. Being able to identify that abnormality requires a lot of technology, of course, in terms of capability. But you have to have that visibility unless you want to be that ship hitting the rock. The secondary says, "Okay, now I'm going to take a million records. Well, is a million records your rock? So if Terry took half a million records, is that not a rock and that's okay and, and that's allowed to go out of the system? What is that threshold? So organizations for years have tried to set thresholds and try to predict what bad behavior really looks like in data security. But the reality is, is just like you can't predict every single rock and every single thing and every, everything that's going to happen in the ocean, you can do your best. The strategy that organizations have been successful with is saying, Real time is too slow. I I need to know bad things happening in my environment well before they actually happen. I need to see the bad behavior growing and becoming more toward what it really be, what what really its intent is to be. And I want to be able to stop it before the breach actually occurs. And that's really what I think modern data security is really about is providing that scale. So an organization the size of a mom and pop I don't know if there's mom and pop banks, but a small bank or a massive healthcare organization or a massive health, uh, financial services organization doesn't matter the size. You should still be able to look at everything without having to just be that one guy in the crow's nest and hoping that that person can see everything under the water and everything above the water uh, before bad behavior happens. And there's a couple points here, and I'm not quite certain where to take it. So I'm going to kind of lay this there and you, you kind of weave take us on a path where you think is most appropriate, but two things come to mind. The land doesn't move, right? But the weather, the tide, whoever's steering the boat does change the course, could change the course that brings you closer to, to the land or not. And then the, the other thing I'm thinking is that uh, it isn't just about the path and the operations there. There could be, I'm not saying malintent, but is always there, but the insider threat. So I'm wondering how, how do we get a handle on where we're going, the path we should be going on, what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, 
uh, knowing that we already operate within some boundaries. And I guess the other thing I want to talk about is this. I sail and I've been out in the fog and it's uncomfortable when you can't see <laughs> and you have technology to help, but it's still uncomfortable. And so I guess my other part is, do we have to have a sense of discomfort before we start to want this visibility looking for how we're moving through the, through the path? So I think I'll start with the, the, let's take those backwards, right? So I think organizations for, well, for the 20 years I've been doing this, I think they have already been uncomfortable. They're in that uncomfortable state. Most organizations and most CISOs and, 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 and security professionals realize that there is a gap in their knowledge. They know it exists. They know it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when they actually have a problem within their own environment. And they, to be fair, some, are do, some do better than others, but I think most of them hope that they will have the information that they need at the same time, knowing that there's a pretty high likelihood that in certain areas of their environment, if there's a problem, they have no, they have zero, they have zero visibility and awareness. And that speaks, I think, as well to the level of expertise that tends to be out there. And, and you know, if you go to, I use LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn and you do a search in, in quotes, search for data security, you're going to find about 100,000 people that even claim to know data security. If you do a search on database security, you get about last time I checked, 36,000 people that say they know database security. Do a search on network security. 1.5 million people say they know that stuff because we've been doing that for years. People do that all the time. It's this other place where you get to that becomes very uncomfortable for engineers. And that skill set, there's a big gap between the skill set for it. Now, go to your first question. I think we, when you start to look at what does it take and how do you get that type of visibility? Because as you said, <clears throat> the land doesn't really move, right? It's, it it kind of stays where it is. Uh, the Titanic would disagree, right? Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go there. I was gonna go there. <laughs> Unless you are in the north or the very south. <laughs> but but the, the, the point is, is, is you're right. It, it doesn't move very much. Tides and other things certainly affect uh, what could be there. Data security is similar to that in that people know where their data is supposed to be. They know they've got this server that does this and that server that does that and this server that does whatever. And so traditionally, if you rewind about 10 years ago, it was this corporate data that honestly shouldn't be moving very much. And it was a little bit easier to get your hands around things like credit cards. A marketing department probably shouldn't have their hands in a credit card server and be copying credit cards somewhere else. That's a that's a pretty big no, no. and didn't happen very much. But you fast forward about 10 years and now we start talking about, well, now there's new rules in place. Privacy law, GDPR and other things that say it's not just about a credit card. It's about Terry Ray's name and his address and his phone number and his email address. All this stuff matters. Now think about your biggest company that you do business with, whatever that is, think about buying a house and all the information they need from you and buying a house and wonder about how many different places in that financial services organization, your name, address, phone number, and email address all exist in a toxic combination that if stolen traditionally wouldn't impact the bank, it didn't cost them any money. There's no fines for that. But nowadays in privacy rules, you lose that data, it becomes very expensive and that data is scattered throughout the enterprise. So organizations today and the CISOs have a real challenge when it comes to 
being able to have eyes on what used to be a few silos of very organizational or industry specific data. Now it's a very broad set of data that could be all across the organization. And now they're struggling to say, how do I grab a hold of all this? How do I watch all of this? Used to, to your point earlier, used to, I had one little path I needed to go to. That's where I needed to go in the ocean. And as long as it was the same and nothing changed, all's good. But now I have a complete maritime enterprise with ships going all over the world. I need to be able to see it all. I have to know everything that's going on. Is there, you know, something happening off the coast of, uh, you know, the Horn of Africa or whatever that I need to look out for? Do I need security there? Do I need over here? If I don't have that level of broad visibility, then I'm blind. And if I'm blind, that's when I run into issues. And that's where visibility you can... into cargo as well, right, is important. <laughs> an yes. empty ship is different than one filled with uh, gold. With Porsches. Yeah, it depends Porsches, on the goal that you have, as you say. You know, sometimes <laughs> a little bit of information is more than enough, and sometimes you just need more and more. And then we have that tendency that if technology can do this, sure, why not? So let's do it. So you arrive to the point where you're like, okay, I can get satellite, I can get all this information, weather channel, one thing and another, and then then you may create a problem bigger than the one you wanted to resolve, because how you are going to handle that? Are you going to filter that data and how are you going to use that data? So I remember, again, this was another point that we were discussing. And bring me to an example of that on how in the evolution of, you know, this maritime story at this point, we're sticking with it. Uh, we get to the point that we have more than what we can chew on. Well, that's that's the case, right? I mean, today, I think the... the like I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no naval expert, but I would assume that a lot of what they've, what they've got, the tools that they have, are relatively self-contained, reasonably small. I mean, I see the big giant ships and the Doppler and everything on top, but most ships have, you know, very, very compact stuff. When I think about what business has driven in terms of technology, business is always ahead of the curve, right? Business is always driving what needs to happen. Technology is following along and doing the best they can. And then way back behind there is security following along that technology to say, okay, you've done all these amazing things. You're in the cloud. You're doing this. You're doing this and the other thing. What are we doing to secure all that stuff? So usually you see a, a burst of business, a burst of technology to support that business. And then you see a range of security incidents that come to bear as the bad actors figure out ways to interact with this new technology. And then the security comes right behind that. And I would say data security is no different than that. In that, if we rewind back, uh, one, of the, one of my colleagues here comes from a, a uh, a, well, they come from a, a company that starts with an I, ends with an M, and has a blue logo and all this. But, um, <laughs> but, but they come from this location, and he's got this great picture of this hard drive that's being wheeled in on like a forklift, and it's a five megabyte hard drive that's going in on a forklift. Business drove the need for data storage way back in the day to the degree that just storing five megabytes of data organizations were willing to have these gigantic pieces of equipment in their environment and armies of people to support them just to support such a small amount of data. That's obviously changed over the years, right? Today we can fit five megabytes in a very, very, very small amount of space. The same thing happens with data security. Data security 20 years ago was certainly possible, but required a vast amount of people, knowledge, equipment, to the degree that organizations just did what they absolutely had to, 
under the regulations of whatever compliance they needed to PCI, HIPAA, whatever it was at the time. Anything else beyond that, the problem wasn't as big as the solution to go into it, right? The solution was just too big, too much. So they didn't do it. What we see now is that changed a little bit about 10 years ago. And here recently, what we've seen is data security drive to the point to where now data security has finally caught up with the business to be able to say, give us one or two people, a few pieces of equipment and your entire enterprise to be able to monitor it all. And that's really what organizations have been looking for and really craving for years is how can I really see everything yet not have to hire an army to support it and an entire data center to store it all in. And that would be the world, the model, if you will, of the old. The new model is probably what you're seeing today in, in, uh, in maritime, which would be you know GPS, where you don't have anything except a little device, a, you know, a, a satellite cell phone to call people when you need to, sonar even if you need it, right? But all those capabilities are there and, and it has really revolutionized, I think, what organizations go through. And I'll give you one example. So I won't, without naming the, the institution, large financial institutions, top five in the world, for example, have somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 50,000 data repositories, databases and file servers and all these things, 30 to 50,000 of them. Normally in the past, they might monitor three, four, five, 6,000 of those repositories because that's all they could do. That's not the case today. Today, they can go on there and they say, we're going to monitor all 30 to 50,000 of these environments. And we're going to do that with less equipment than it took for me to just monitor the 6,000 or 5,000 that it was before. So organizations can really think change what they're doing today. And this is relatively new stuff, but organizations, I think, have to become aware that while data security was always perceived as complex because of a skills gap that I mentioned earlier, because of a technology gap that we're talking about now, both of those can be solved now with automation to eliminate the skills gap and technology to eliminate the scale gap. So I, I want to dig into this because what you just described, I, I captured earlier is early visibility and intelligence at scale. And use the word monitor a couple times, which then prompts me to think monitor, respond, monitor, respond. Um, having built a SIM in the past, my natural view of response is something bad happened. How are you going to recover? Tell me about what it means to monitor for early visibility in a way that isn't just response. So you get ahead of the real time isn't, isn't good enough. Uh, what, and, and how, how does modern data security, the stuff that you do and, and the, the tech stack that, that you run with and on and around, <laughs> how does that become possible? Yeah, so it, again, it comes back to the, the, the ability to really be able to just see everything. For example, when you, when you have a breach of an environment, uh, the breach doesn't, it's, it's, breaching data security isn't like breaching a application or a, a web application or a host application where I know there's a vulnerability because I read on the web that there's a vulnerability in this particular application. So all I need to do is have this app and send this code and boom, I'm in. 
data security is very different than that. And what we see in data security, whether it's a compromised insider with malware, who knows what, a malicious insider that's tinkering around a system, doing things that's abnormal to their authorized user, or even just a negligent, negligent user who's trying to do something good for the company, but accessing data they're not supposed to. In all of these cases, when you look at the way that they interact with the data in the back end, there's not, they're not typically exploiting a known exploit in a database. While those known exploits in databases do exist, those are things that can be blocked immediately. You don't need to have that foresight. Real-time for a known exploit, this code against this database, real-time works fine for that. It's the, it's the, I'm gonna steal a million records or 50 million records, and I'm gonna do it in a way that uh, leverages the authorizations that either I or somebody I've compromised already have. I think it goes back to being able to, to look at some of the statistics around uh, data breaches and overwhelmingly the data breaches that you see statistics support that greater than 90% of all of those breaches happen with fully authorized users. It's not a unauthorized user coming in and, and just simply you know, uh, affecting something that's known bad in the environment. It's a user that we've said, this is a good credential, a good person, a good laptop, whatever it is, they're supposed to be here. But what happens is typically those users in data repositories have far more rights than what they're supposed to. They can do a lot more in that system than really what their actual job is. And so to be able to prevent that bad behavior versus just monitor it, back to your question, I can monitor all day long. But what I'm typically going to see in an environment is I'm going to see I've got a user who's authorized. This person logs in. Now, this user does accesses a table. That table, they're fully authorized to access the table, but I've never seen them access that table before. I've seen the applications and APIs and other things access that table, but this person never has before. All of a sudden, I see this user look at data in that table. Not a lot of data, just a little bit. And that's, again, this user usually manages the table, but he doesn't look at the table. These are all things that start to lead up to becoming more and more and more risky and therefore a higher threat to an organization. Rather than just saying, I see a user, he logs in, he goes straight to my credit card table because he happens to know exactly where it is and he pulls 10 million credit cards. While that can happen, we can predict that kind of bad behavior typically by saying, I never want to have more than some number, a, an acceptable risk of credit cards going out of my environment. What I can't predict is that credit cards might exist somewhere else and how people might interact with those credit cards. I wanna be able to model each one of these users, each one of my applications and compare users to users and users to applications so I can predictively, as we say that, uh, proactively predict, and that's kind of super rare, but proactively predict what bad behavior is going to look like before that bad behavior really gets to a risky enough threshold that I actually lose data. And the idea is typically these breaches happen over weeks. You have a person that tinkers, sees how far he could get, sees if he gets in trouble, goes a little bit further, goes a little bit, sees if he can get a little bit more in trouble, see if he can get a little bit further, starts to test the boundaries. It's a lot like my uh, my younger children, right? They start to test the boundaries on my on my tolerance of what I will accept and what I won't accept. Ultimately, they realize that nobody's actually looking anyway, so they can go pull whatever they want to. You want to stop them well before they ever figure that out. And that's what that uh, uh, real time is too slow is being able to understand what that bad behavior is and being able to literally walk up to them at their desk and say, I've got a question for you. I saw you doing all this stuff. Let's, let's talk about why we were doing that. 
And let's let's talk a little bit about the the scalabilities of this and just being able to put something in place that doesn't cost more than the risk you're trying to to mitigate. Um, and because a lot of what you just described was user and behavior. And I'm wondering, does an organization have to shift how it thinks about protecting its information from database and access to user and behavior, or does it have to meld together? I'm, I'm wondering what some of the changes need are needed from an operational perspective, a mindset perspective, perhaps even a cultural perspective to make this, uh, make this work. In my experience in the organizations that have been successful with this type of technology, the answer is no, they don't need a big mindset. Instead, what they really leverage here is call it the brains, if you will, that sits on top of data collection, data security, whether it's file data security, database data security, data lake data security, just the, the, the higher level umbrella of data security itself um, has always been predicated on the ability to collect vast volumes of data at scale. That's just what it all comes down to, right? Me being able to collect all of this data and do something with that data. It's the do something with that data that we're talking about here, right? So do I need to change the way users will interact? Honestly, you don't need to for us, for us or anybody else to be able to detect bad behavior. But typically what I do see in organizations is once they learn how users are using the data, they do tend to change that behavior. Uh, you know, obviously we're doing a podcast here, so you don't see a slide or anything, but you know, traditionally what you'll see in, in a database, in a DBA, let me, I'm going to preface this really carefully. Database administrators are not bad people, but they learn to be a DBA and there are ways to do your job efficiently. And there are ways to do your job securely. And a lot of times those meet in the middle in a gray area between security and efficiency. Let me just get my job done. What that means is in a lot of cases you wind up with is you wind up with organizations that have teams of people that work on data. Those teams of people to make their job easy because, hey, we they trust each other. They all work together. So I'm going to share my credential with this person over here. And this person over here is going to share their credential with that person because I don't want to do the whole job myself. They need to do some of that work. So you can use my credential to log in because I have rights on this kind of data and you have rights on that kind of data. This is things that I think organizations have kind of overlooked for years, just seeing this as part of normal behavior. This is the way databases and data repositories are managed. Multiple people have multiple levels of access to everything, which means there's not a lot of accountability and there's not a lot of repudiation that can really happen in an, in an environment when something bad does happen. Well, yeah, they, well, yeah, I logged in, but it wasn't me. She logged in, but it wasn't her. So it becomes very difficult, I think, for organizations to do that with analytics, with machine learning and these sorts of things and the collection of that volume of data that says, I'm looking at all of those connections. I can see every single one of them. Now I can tell you, you've got four users sharing credentials here. You have three users sharing them here, six users sharing them here. It's up to the organization that's using that to take that information and decide to answer your question. Do they want to change that behavior? The behavior is risky. I don't think there's any question that the behavior is risky. It's whether or not it's acceptable risk within that organization for their business practices or whether it's not acceptable risk and they want to change something. 
Would you give me some example maybe of case study of specific industries? I mean, we're talking about boats a lot, but <laughs> of course, you don't have to go there. It's totally fine if you don't. Actually, don't, please. Uh, some some other I, cases. I want, I want I mean, my own lighthouse. I'm just saying everybody should have their own lighthouse. Well, that's yeah, that's scalable. I, <laughs> on ITSP Magazine, that's the lighthouse is our it main is lighthouse, yeah. uh, our main image there. So, no, it really like because you know you talk about scalability and we talk about different goals. You may have it. The, you know, I like the idea of the the mom and pop bank. I never heard of that except my parents <laughs> when I was a kid. Maybe that, that's uh, the bank, right? <laughs> that's the bank. Thank you, mom and, and dad. Exactly, but they would rely on a bigger bank there. I mean, of course. So, yeah, give me some example of how you can actually apply this to the modern day of uh, different industries, for example. Yeah, so this, this really starts to speak to how an organization leverages data security technology in their environment. I think successful organizations will leverage this technology and realize that it's a bit different than your traditional security technology, like a network firewall or antivirus. And those systems, we know who's going to manage them, we know who's going to use them, and we know who's going to get the benefit from them, the security department. When you think about data security, yes, the security department wants to know when somebody does something they're not supposed to. But when it starts to talk about risk, now we're talking about does the CISO decide whether a DBA should or shouldn't have this right or that right? I will tell you when I would talk to CISOs and ask them, whose job is it to protect data, to do data security? Only half of the CISOs would even say it's their job. The other half of the CISOs would say, how am I supposed to know what data is important in this business unit or that business unit or this business unit? So when it speaks to like industries and, and these things, I don't think anybody would argue that financial services are one of the most highly regulated, therefore also one of the most highly uh, uh, required to have, probably a more eloquent way to say that, but required to have data security type environment, right? A place where you need to have data security, you need to have those expertise, and you need to really leverage those expertise across the landscape, meaning Financial services have risk, they have fraud departments, they have security departments, of course, legal departments, and then they have those departments in each and every individual business unit of across private banking and commercial banking and retail banking and mortgage and all the other individual pieces. They've all got their pieces. So they all have to really be able to share all of the information that they come through in this type of technology. And that's a big difference as I see it from traditional network security where security is security, they're doing their job and they're doing what needs to get done. Here, data security crosses that boundary of, yes, you wanna know what the bad behavior is, but here's some just generally bad practices that could probably be done a little bit differently and create, the, create a better security and less, less risky framework for the whole organization. It's important that the security department recognize that that technology and the information that they now hold is far more extensible than what they're used to. And they do need to bring those other teams in and say, hey, you should really look at this. You should look at this. Oh, we have a privacy department, privacy team, my, my, my uh, data privacy officer, chief privacy officer. Did you know that I have a classification engine that has found that we have names, addresses, and phone numbers in 75% of all of the databases that we have in our environment and, and half of our file servers. If you didn't, here's some risk. This is something you might want to take a look at. I think that's an important factor for these organizations is to realize how extensible that technology is and how much it can benefit 
the other parts of the organization beyond just security. Love it. And I'm, uh, you, you touched on a few different roles there. Some, as we get close to the end here, I'm wondering two points. Who should lead the charge and who's involved in that charge as they embark on a, a modern data security strategy? And perhaps if they don't have a strategy in place, what's a, what's a good place to start? Yeah, so who leads the charge? That was the question I was trying to ask in my CISO roundtables. <laughs> Whose job is it? Right. So uh, I, I would say at least half of the organizations I speak to, the answer is the security department. Chief information security officer is where the buck stops, at least. And usually if the buck stops there, then typically you've you found the owner. They're the ones responsible for it. They're the one that's phone that's going to ring when someone says you had a breach. They're the one picking up the phone. Uh, I will say I will say, though, that there was a bit of a, a split that happened right around the GDPR time. And it was because GDPR came out and said, hey, we've got this whole new role now. This chief privacy officer did the. Uh, um, uh, yes, we have the chief privacy officer. Uh, in in this role, your job is to protect data. Your job is to protect PII. Now, your job is to protect credit cards or any of the other stuff, but your job is to protect PII. So you had this kind of split where you had organizations that said, on one side, I've got all this organizational industry-specific data that hasn't changed at all. It's not relevant to privacy. It's credit cards and, and all of this. Uh, then you get the other side, and, and as well as healthcare. Then you get the other side that's the privacy piece that blends a little bit to some of the others, but is very uh, uh, consumer focused, very uh, individual focused. I found that over the last five or six years, that that whose job is it split between people in legal lawyers, and, and again, not bad people. It's just that was the mandate. You need to go hire a chief privacy officer to solve this problem for you. So they hire the chief privacy officer. The chief privacy officer says, "I need something." That's going to tell me where my credit cards are because people are going to come to me and say, uh, I want you to forget about me. I want you to delete my data or I want you to confirm that my data is right or I want you to share my data. All the different capabilities of the privacy world. I want you to do this for me. And that was their job to do that. And so they went out and acquired some technology. At the same time, you had security people out there that were still being told their job is to protect data as well. And it's still their phone that's going to ring when there's a breach, but they started to have to collaborate. The CPO and the CISO had to collaborate quite a bit to make sure they had, they had the right reports and the right technology and everything. What you see now in the world of data security is you see privacy solutions that primarily classify data. And you see data security solutions that also classify data and also protect the data, the things you talked about. How do you identify bad behavior and all this, all that stuff? What my prediction is, to be honest, is that you're going to see these two worlds come back together. There's just a small little diversion. We've got this, we have an interstate down here in Texas called I-35, and it's weird. It's a straight, straight up through North America, except in Dallas-Fort Worth, when one half of it goes to Fort Worth, one half goes to Dallas, and it comes back together again in Denton. It comes right around. That's exactly what we see here. As you see 95, or sorry, 2015, 2016, data security split from privacy and data security. And I'm confident they're going to come right back together again, because what you're seeing is even though who owns this job, the reality is, is it's going to come back to the fundamental requirement of GDPR, of PCI, of HIPAA, of SOX, of all these different regulations is you need to protect data. I don't, I don't, and the regulations individually, they care, but if, you, if they bring them all together, it really doesn't matter what the, uh, the data is. 
Organizations have to have controls in place to protect data. To your question, if they don't have any controls, if nobody is doing this today, and definitely those organizations do exist, then they're, you know, they're typically they're, they may be collecting some logs. They may be have some logs from their systems and they may put it, put them into a, a do it yourself kind of system is what they can do. They can put it into their SIM. If you're familiar with security incident event monitoring systems, right? So they can go and you know, put it in their SIM environment and hope that they can get some intelligence out of that. At least they're doing something. Their risk is ultimately going to be if they have a breach. And again, it's not if it's when really, but when they have that breach, uh, do they have enough information to answer the most rudimentary basic questions of who took the data, when did they take the data, and exactly what did they take? And if you don't have the answers to those questions, the easiest follow-up question of whoever is going to get ready to find you is going to be, if you don't know how much they took, how much do you have? Because that's going to be how much they took. And it becomes a big number after that. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a big, uh, a long way from boating in the fog as we started at the beginning. We went a little bit all over the places, but I, I love to follow that metaphor, and I'm sure there are going to be many other conversations. I'd like for you to take the final minute or so to tell us where do you see Imperva going next? And that's a big question, but I mean, from from the fog to the heating the raw, to the lighthouse, to the radar and GPS, to compliance and privacy, blah, blah, blah. What, what do you see to be next? And what people need to focus on? Our biggest goal for you for a good number of years, and we've got a real big focus on it this year, is trying to change the perception of data security from being complex and I can't do it and it's too much stuff for me to deal with to a world of I can do this. It's not hard. doesn't take a lot of stuff. There aren't a lot of reasons why I shouldn't be doing it, but there are a lot of reasons why I should. And so that's really our goal right now is to really change that entire model of the perception of data security. And, uh, and that's, that's really our mission right now is to do that. We've been doing it for years. So the, 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 the result of data security is to have answers when people have them to prevent bad behavior on your data, wherever your data is, whatever your data happens to be, files unstructured doesn't matter. You should have the ability to protect that data, but you should be able to do it with the people you have, not have to go and hire a whole team of people and not have to go buy a data center to store a whole bunch of stuff in. This should be something that's accessible to the small organizations all the way to the largest organizations in the world uh, in a very similar, very easy to use format. And that's our, that's our goal right now. I'm not going to say, I won't, I won't say that we're all the way there yet. That's our mission. And that's what we've been working toward. And that's what we, uh, we continue to strive for every day. That's a, a fantastic goal from somebody who has data out there in lots of places. <laughs> right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's easy enough for them to uh, protect my information. Uh, well, Terry, it, it's, Fantastic chatting with you. Uh, it's great to get your insight and uh, to, to take a boat ride through <laughs> some ocean somewhere with you. I have no idea where we were, but uh, we're on a journey to protecting data easily at scale to get that visibility early at scale so that we can, what the most important thing is make decisions and answer questions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what's going on? What's going on? And, and how bad was it if something bad happened? And ultimately, 
go ahead with your business, right? Because security That's... probably know your business. Oh. <laughs> the reality is, is your business is going to go on anyway. So you, your, your security better catch up. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Well, that was great. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I hope yep. we could get to chat and tell more story coming up soon. Absolutely. And for those listening, there'll be uh, some links to resources, uh, links to Terry's bio and uh, social links. So you can connect with Terry if you have questions for him and the team. Everybody enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Ships away. Perfect. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.